the first episode of Knowledge Tree. I was thinking about naming the show The Aaron Show, but I realized that that would not be a very descriptive title of what the show was actually going to be about. And that was really just about me wanting to talk about all the different things I'm interested in without committing to any one specific field of knowledge. So I decided to divide the different topics I'm interested in into different podcasts and just sort of experiment with having multiple podcasts. And I think that each sort of topic has its own specific audience. So when I'm talking about computer science and sort of the new technologies or new projects that are being released, then that has sort of a tech professional audience. So if I'm talking about Zod and runtime type safety, that's probably a very different audience than someone who's going to be listening to this podcast, which is just sort of about the love of knowledge and exploring a lot of interesting topics, especially in science and biology. And it's really more for a sort of academically or intellectually curious audience. So I thought that I would start off by talking about an experiment in The Dancing Wooly Masters, which was a book written by Gary Zukav. It was released in 1979. It has a ton of citations. It's extremely popular among physicists. And I think this is really, honestly, maybe the best book that I've ever read because it really explains physics in a way that someone who's not acquainted with the mathematical side and who's not a physicist can sort of intuitively understand. And I think that this kind of cross-discipline communication and non academic or not exactly non-academic, but communicating in a way that considers the listener and considers how easily that information might be understood, as opposed to something you're publishing in a journal that is maybe geared towards prestige, geared towards making other people think you're smart, and often can be used to try and cover for the fact that what's being published is derivative of better works. So I thought that I'd start off with the experiment or one of the first experiments that is described in the book, and that is the double slit experiment. I'm going to include some diagrams in the show notes, um, but I also hope that the explanation that I'll provide will give a sort of illustration of the exact phenomena that is occurring. And first, some background, and this is the way that the book describes it, and I'm essentially just going to condense the pages or the information in the pages so that it's sort of intuitive and it sort of can help build your mental model of what's exactly going on. So imagine that you are looking down at the waves of a harbor and you can see the waves coming into the harbor mouth and say that there's one harbor in which the harbor mouth that the waves are passing through is larger than the wavelength of each wave. And so a wavelength is the distance between two different peaks of a wave. So if you imagine a sine wave, a wave reaches the top, that's point one, it dives downward, and then it slopes back up and reaches another peak at the exact same height. And the difference, the length between those two heights is a wave, and that's the wavelength. And so imagine a harbor with a large harbor mouth. The, the harbor mouth is wider than the wavelength of the waves. And you see that the waves will just pass unimpeded through the harbor. They'll be stopped. The waves on either side will be stopped by the harbor walls, but the waves going through the harbor mouth will simply continue unimpeded. However, if you have a different harbor in which the harbor mouth is smaller than the wavelength of the oncoming waves, 
what you'll see is a phenomenon known as diffraction. So essentially, the waves will smash against the harbor wall and diffract in a sort of semicircle radiating outwards. And this is really where the diagram is extremely helpful. And this is important because diffraction is a property of waves, and therefore we can say that this water crashing against the harbor walls is behaving like a wave, it has wavelength properties, it's literally an ocean wave. And that will sort of help illustrate the double slit experiment. And it's incredibly simple. Its implications are not, but the experiment itself is pretty simple. You have a light bulb. That light bulb is emanating light through, at first, a single slit in just a piece of paper. And that light is being cast upon a wall behind that piece of paper of that piece of paper. So when that light goes through the slit of paper, it then projects a circle onto the wall that is behind that piece of paper. So pretty simple. You've probably seen this at least a few times just in everyday life. And so now consider if another slit was formed in the center of the piece of paper. So there's two slits both positioned on either side of the center of the piece of paper. And you see that if light shines through both of these slits, diffraction occurs. The light that is being cast onto the wall looks like shades of alternating black and white. So there's white strips of light, and then there's a sort of black, black line where photons don't land. There's another white band, and then another dark black band. And this is because of the interference caused by the light from the other slit. And the way that Sukhav describes it, which I think is really a great metaphor, is, or it's almost not a metaphor because it's both wavelengths, is if you drop two stones at the same time in a pond, at some locations, the ripples from those stones will crash into each other and sort of cancel each other out. And in other locations, they will merge and form a more powerful ripple or wave. However, the very interesting part of this experiment is what happens if you fire a single photon through one of the slits while the second slit is open. Now, the previous explanation for why those dark bands appeared is that interference from the photons being passed through the other slit was systematically colliding with photons being passed through the first slit, thereby creating interference and producing certain patterns of light on the opposite wall. And that's where those opposing bands of light are coming from. They're coming from the interference of photons streaming through two slits, interfering with each other, and canceling out. And so the area in, on the wall in which those photons are colliding and their momentum is being canceled out, that's where the dark bands occur. That's where photons cannot land because of interference. However, if a single photon, and this is possible, there are machines that can project only a single photon, is cast through the original slit and the second slit is open, it will never land on a dark band. It will only land on one of the light bands. This despite the fact that only a single photon has been cast. There is no other interfering photon. There can be no interference. And yet somehow that photon knows that the other slit is open and it will never land on a previously dark band. It will never land on a dark patch. It's behaving exactly like interference is occurring despite the fact that it's not, which is pretty insane. Somehow 
it knows this seemingly non-conscious, inorganic thing has access to information about whether or not the second slit is open. And you can see what I'm talking about, again, in the show notes that has the exact diagrams that make this a very simple and intuitive concept. And this is pretty insane because somehow there's this sort of instantaneous transfer of information. This information about whether or not the second slit is open is known, perhaps even not by the photon, but by the universe. And digressing from Wooly Masters for a bit, this is perhaps an earth-shattering, not this experiment, but the implications of it are pretty mind-boggling because it suggests there's a way to get information around that is not predicated on transferring it. The fastest we can send information as of now is via the speed of light. But if there's a way in the universe to instantly transfer information such that the known universe or such that we are able to tap into the in quotation marks consciousness of the universe, we still don't really know what that is, then it's theoretically possible to communicate with entities anywhere in the universe because somehow the information transfer is instantaneous. Somehow one corner of the universe is able to receive knowledge from a completely different part of the universe and that transfer of information is instantaneous in theory. And that would be important for communicating with aliens. But that's a really far-reaching conclusion. That's just sort of my own inference. And so returning to Wooly Masters, I'd like to read a quote by the physicist E.H. Walker about this phenomena. He speculated, as I briefly referenced before, that photons, if they even exist, may be conscious, saying, Consciousness may be associated with all quantum mechanical processes, since everything that occurs is ultimately the result of one or more quantum mechanical events, the universe is inhabited by an almost unlimited number of rather discrete, conscious, usually non-thinking entities that are responsible for the detailed working of the universe. And this is really a complete rebuff of classic Newtonian physics, which says that all objects, including ones as small as a photon, will behave according to sort of intuitive, well, will behave according to certain forces. So if you think of the photon as a marble and you shoot the marble through that slit in the paper, which would have to be widened to fit the marble, but that you can essentially, according to the forces acting on that marble, determine exactly what's going to happen. And indeed, this is a classic AP physics or introductory course to physics experiment that people perform, whether with a marble or with cars or something along those lines. But in absence of any other force, a photon will not behave according to Newtonian physics, if that second slit is open. There is apparently no other force acting on it, and yet it behaves as if there is. Somehow the knowledge is altering the direction of that photon. The mere existence, the mere fact of the second slit being open is causing the photon to not land in places that it would if the second slit were closed. To repeat, it will never land in the dark bands that exist because of diffraction. And so remember that one of the thorniest and most memed on problems 
central questions of quantum physics is whether light is a wave or a particle. And Einstein's theory, which he refined, was that photons were essentially like a stream of many bullets, and he used the photoelectric effect to justify this. So essentially what he said is that when light hits the surface of a metal, it jars electrons loose, which is empirically true. And that's the same thing as a billiard ball hitting a bunch of smaller balls and just scattering them according to classic Newtonian velocity. And yet light also diffracts, and diffraction is a property of waves. Einstein speculated that photons were guided by ghost waves, which Zukav describes this way. Ghost waves are mathematical entities which have no actual existence. The photons seem to follow paths, which have all the mathematical characteristics of waves, but which in reality do not exist. To return to the double slit experiment, even though we can say for sure that the single photon will not strike the wall in one of the dark bands, we cannot say specifically where on the wall it will strike. We know it will strike within one of the light bands, but we don't know which one of the light bands or exactly within one light band where that will be. However, we can calculate precisely the probability that it will strike in different places within those different light bands, provided the experiment is being carried out under the same conditions. This defies Newtonian physics, which is essentially our, a codification of a sort of intuitive understanding of the world. We know that objects at rest tend to stay at rest, objects in motion tend to stay in motion unless other forces are acting on them, and that we can calculate using gravitational force, using coefficients of friction, things like that, exactly what's going to happen. But in this instance, we can't. We, we cannot say where on the wall the photon is going to land. We can only say that it will not land in one of the dark bands. And this has led physicists to create the field of quantum mechanics, in which the fundamental base unit is a probability wave. We cannot say exactly what will happen, but we can say the probability of any distinct event occurring. And Einstein actually was contra this theory, writing to Max Born, quantum mechanics is very impressive, but I'm convinced that God does not play dice. And yet, the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics accepted quantum theory in which probability and probability waves are at the core of as a complete theory because it correlates to experience. It works in every possible experimental situation, not because it explains in detail what is going on. And this is fundamentally linked to the concept of predestination, and it sort of defies it, because you could think of the universe under quantum mechanics as a linear, lin linearly progressing series of infinite dice rolls. It cannot be known ahead of time what is going to happen, because the probability and the state of future dice rolls are predicated upon what occurred in all of the dice rolls before them. And therefore there cannot be predestination because what's going to happen is not yet known. We could calculate the probability, but we cannot calculate what will happen even given total and complete knowledge of the universe. We could not even calculate what would happen in the next few milliseconds given total and complete knowledge of the universe. And indeed, other experiments that are discussed uh, within Wooly Masters show that matter itself under the right conditions has wave-like properties. And so the very distinction between what is matter and what is a wave are being questioned. And there's sort of 
a sense right now in physics that physics is more or less kind of solved, that there's some very interesting sort of niche situations, but that we don't actually need as many physics PhDs as are currently being produced because there's not enough work for them. And I think that's the exact same attitude that physicists had in the 1920s before the quantum mechanic revolution. This fundamental question has not yet been solved. And even the slightest progress towards solving it is fundamentally a reevaluation of the way the universe works and a single breakthrough, which cannot be predicted. But fundamentally, the journey towards answering this question of the double slit experiment of answering why light and even some matter has both wave and object-like properties is fundamentally contrary to the way that we understand what objects are and who we are. Experiments so far have suggested that there's this sort of harmony and wholeness to the universe, that things are connected in ways that our own limited observational systems, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, are unable to discern. And that so far we have only been able to quantify mathematically and that that may be the only way to describe them. It's clear that we need to gain, at least in my view, a new intuition of the universe. We need a new fundamental basis of how we understand what the hell is going on. It's so fucked up. When I first started my journey about learning about different phenomena, different physics, I thought that there would be some like interesting stuff going on with black holes and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's cool. But fundamentally, we don't seem to know very much about very basic questions. And I think that the idea that somehow, despite being unable to answer these very basic questions, physics is somehow solved is not correct, that we are going to continue to see breakthroughs in physics, we're going to continue to see new theories, even new constructs of the atom, new constructs of whether or not atoms even exist at all, that are going to fundamentally reshape our understanding of basically everything, and that the laws of physics may not be applicable to every situation, which is an entirely different but related tangent. So I hope you've enjoyed listening. If you have, give me a follow. I'd really appreciate it. And I'll continue to talk about cutting-edge research, science, biology, astronomy, and continue sharing with everyone what I learned and my thoughts about it. Thank you for listening.